<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey friends, Bill Press here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I want to be sure you know my new book is out. Uh, Not so subtle. The title, Trump Must Go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one, maybe, to keep him. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, Best place to get it is go to our website, billpressshow.com. Special discount there for ordering the book and a way that you can add your own reasons to dump Trump. Let's do it now. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, according to Donald Trump, Democrats are evil. Evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The same man who says that uh, he had the largest crowd, inauguration crowd ever in history. You can't believe a word he says, but come on, Donald Trump. Hello, everybody. Here we go. Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday, October 9. It is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. The morning after a disgraceful, phony ceremony at the White House yesterday where Donald Trump insists apologize to the nation for Brett Kavanaugh for all the pain and suffering that he experienced at that hearing where he lied through his teeth. Uh, and then Donald Trump is insisting that Democrats are so upset at this that Democrats are going to vote Republican uh, for Republicans uh, in November and insisting also that Brett Kavanaugh was proven innocent by that whole circus. It is just disgusting. It gets worse and worse every day. And again, where are the Democrats? Why aren't they raising hell about this whole charade, this whole circus, this whole sham? Hey, we got lots to talk about today. Even more than that, yes, Hurricane Michael pounding its way up to the Gulf Coast. Here we go again. And while Mitch McConnell says that Republicans are just so angry over the Kavanaugh thing, they're going to turn out and vote in great numbers. That's not what the polls are showing today. Democrats uh, increasing their lead in taking back the House of Representatives and maybe even the Senate. So, you see, lots and lots to talk about. We need your help. need your comments. Want your comments. Want to hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. But first. This is the Full Court Press. All righty. Just a couple of other stories making news today. All right. We don't talk about the NFL much, Bill. You know we don't talk about the NFL much. But I don't was, want to. The, well, there was some good news out of the NFL last night. Drew Brees of the New Orleans Saints broke a record for the most passing yards ever in the career. He passed Peyton Manning last night, and he did it in spectacular fashion. It was in the second quarter. He threw a 62-yard touchdown pass. Here's what it sounded like. He starts in the shotgun, drops back, looks to the far sideline, wide open, Traquan Smith, and Traquan Smith is going to go to the end zone. 
it. You have just witnessed history, New Orleans. Drew Brees is the NFL's all-time leading passer. He passed the record 71,940 career passing yards. He is in his 18th year. He's 39 years old, so he's not going to be doing this for a whole lot longer. Uh, But, of course, as you can tell by the crowd, uh, he was in front of his uh, home game last night. Yeah, yeah. How old's Brady? Brady is, I think, the same age or yeah, 40. Yeah, I mean, quarterbacks yeah. can go a lot longer right, because right. they, don't, yeah, they yeah. don't grind it out as much as other players. Uh, but, you know, the other thing about Drew Brees is, comparatively speaking to other professionals, he's a short guy. And so the fact that he is he has this record is pretty remarkable. I love his name. Drew Brees. As they say down there, Drew Breesiana <laughs> in, in New Orleans. All right, so I don't really dress up for Halloween. You, do you dress up for Halloween? Are you kidding <laughs> this can go either way. I think it's, it's a no a for you. Yeah, yeah. Wore Halloween. Well, no. I don't really dress up for Halloween, uh, but there are a lot of people who don't dress up for Halloween, but they dress their Damn. pets. Oh, dress. They dress oh, their oh, oh, pets. Oh, oh, by the way, Lincoln Park, right yeah. here? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yesterday, the National Retail Federation and Prosper Insights said that 30, listen to this, 31 million people will dress their pets in a costume this year. God. Oh, God. Yeah. Can you imagine? No. They're proje- they're projected to spend. This is this number: four hundred eighty million dollars on dog and cat outfits or bird outfits. If you want to dress your bird up for Halloween, that's how much people are going to spend uh, on on Halloween costumes for their pets. That's about four percent higher than they spent last year. So we've been doing this for a while. Do they put little like buckets around their necks so they can collect they candy or, or, candy. or uh, I don't know dog biscuits? Right. Or... <laughs> God. This is the Bill Press Show. Women are angry over the Kavanaugh Circus, and when women get angry, women turn out and vote. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you today on a Tuesday, October 9. It is the Bill Press Show, and here we are, together with all of you all across this great land of ours and around the globe. Coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., uh, the scene of a just sickening, disgusting, shameful, phony swearing-in ceremony at the White House last night, where the president pulled everybody together so he could give a speech and apologize. Can you believe it? Apologize to Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, the poor baby was seen and trust, treated so rough. Yeah. Allegedly, he tried to rape a girl, and they asked tough questions about it, and he gets away with it, and now we apologize to him. Count me out on that apology, Mr. President. We're coming to you live on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you, of course, on TV. Hello, Free Speech TV, all you free speech watchers out there. And on the radio statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks, and through the greater Chicago area on the big, powerful WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. With all the news of the day, great lineup of guests from Axios. We're going to be talking climate change with uh, Andrew Friedman, uh, who's the science editor uh, at Axios. Eugene Scott from the Washington Post will be joining us as a friend of Bill for our, our second hour together, and we'll be joined by Zach Beecham from Vox, senior reporter 
at Vox, who's been writing a lot about Brett Kavanaugh, and also, um, basically, uh, one of our foreign policy experts as well. Yes, indeed, it was a disgusting day yesterday. Donald Trump, he has, I must admit, rather successfully, because Democrats have been so quiet, I talked about that yesterday, uh, Donald Trump has rather successfully turned this entire narrative about the Kavanaugh nomination from uh, an alleged sexual predator joining another one on the Supreme Court to a man who was wronged by the Democrats and the Democrats, not the Republicans, according to Donald Trump, turning this into an ugly partisan food fight, which indeed it was Mitch McConnell that did that. We've never seen such blatant partisanship. Remember Lindsey Graham's tirade at the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, no Democrat coming close to that. But it was Trump last night, yesterday, starting when he was getting on Marine One to go down to um, Orlando to talk to uh, police chiefs. This whole thing, he said, was a disgrace. It was all made up. It was fabricated. And it's a disgrace. And I think it's going to really show you something come November 6th. Yeah. And when he was down there in uh, Orlando, he talked about it again. And he actually said the people who raised questions about the Democrats who dared raise questions about Kavanaugh, they were evil. It was a disgraceful situation brought about by people that are evil. And he toughed it out. We evil. all toughed it out together. There it is. Amy Klobuchar, Dianne Feinstein, Cory Booker, Chris Coons. Evil. Yeah, Rick you know, Dick Durbin. Evil. Pat he, Leahy. He's been trotting this out recently uh, more yeah. and more. Like, yeah. just, just saying... You know, the Democrats are the party of evil, and these are all evil politicians. And I think there's a pattern with Trump, right, when he gets on some of his rhetoric, whether it's, you know, calling Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas or some of the other nasty things he says. He sees what he can get away with. Now, he tries these lines out also to see which ones will get a good response. Yeah, yeah. And then he uses it, and how much he can get away with. Right. And, like, so, you know, uh, I guess it was last week when he said his comments about Dr. Ford, uh, you know, the GOP pushed back on him a little bit. And so he sort of faded back from attacking her personally and then shifted it over to the Democrats. But then right? he then Yeah. But then he came back and attacked her. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Right. But so then uh, he continued in this. So get this. So remember, uh, just so you know what it was all about. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh was sworn in at the White House uh, last night. Right. No, 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 he was not. He was sworn in by Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kennedy on Saturday night after the vote in the chambers of the Supreme Court. And uh, and from then on, he was a Supreme Court justice. But they had to have a phony ceremony last night so Donald Trump could star, so Donald Trump could be there. They did it in the East Room of the White House last night. And Donald Trump actually, and th- this is the thing, and I got into this yesterday on the Larry King Show with somebody else too. It's just nuts, nuts. We're supposed to feel sorry for Brett Kavanaugh. Here's Donald Trump apologizing for you and me. On behalf of our nation, I want to apologize to Brett and the entire Kavanaugh family for the terrible pain and suffering you have been forced to endure. Give me a break. Give me a break. It's a job interview with the highest court in the land. A very credible woman comes forward and says, that he tried to rape her when she was 15. Dozens of people 
who went to school with him at high school and at Yale come forward and say he was a sloppy, ugly drunk who did abuse women and often blacked out. Those are legitimate questions to ask about. We're supposed to feel sorry for him. He now has a, are you ready for this? A lifetime jo- lifetime job paying, I don't know, it's about 200 grand a year, right? For the rest of his life, one of the most respected positions in the entire world. We're supposed to feel sorry for him. Christine Ford can't even get her family with her family back into her own house because she's still getting harassed and threatened out there in California. So, I mean, this whole line that they're going, and Donald Trump continues, it was nothing but a campaign of lies. Those who step forward to serve our country deserve a fair and dignified evaluation, not a campaign of political and personal destruction based on lies and deception. (laughs) Based on lies and deception. How about the lies, the multiple lies, proven multiple lies, that Brett Kavanaugh told in front of that committee and got away with. The fact that he never drank during the week, right? The fact that he never met Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, on and on and on. The fact that he never had anything to do with these torture memos, as we've talked about so many times. And then the worst to me was Donald Trump said, don't worry, pal, you know, you are innocent until proven guilty, and in this hearing, you were proven innocent. Our country, a man or a woman, must always be presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty. And with that, I must state that you, sir, under historic scrutiny, were proven innocent. Thank you. No, he wasn't. Historic scrutiny? Historic scrutiny, right, yeah. He was not, I would admit, he was not proven guilty, but he was not proven innocent either. That hearing didn't resolve anything. It was a classic case of he said, she said, and she said it with a lot of evidence and a lot of compelling, uh, I believe, uh, circumstances. But uh, at any rate, there was no, there was no verdict in that case. Nobody, he certainly was not proven innocent. But Peter, you talked about trying out lines. This is a line that the Republicans have decided will motivate old white men to vote because their answer to the Me Too movement is to come back to this innocent until proven guilty. So the response to all these women, including the 20-some women who have accused Donald Trump of sexual assault, is innocent until proven guilty. And unless you can prove without a doubt or the man even maybe admits it, then, of course, they get off with this innocent until proven guilty. So where do they come out of this? They come out of this still saying and wanting us to believe that all these, the women of America, who are so pissed off even before Brett Kavanaugh at the Republican Party for the way they have treated uh, women, Remember Roy Moore, remember Donald Trump and the Access Hollywood, Uh, remember Roger Ailes, Donald Trump praising him, remember Bill O'Reilly, Donald Trump praising him, women who are pissed off anyway. Now, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell are actually want us to believe that women are going to go out now and vote for Democrats because they are so angry at the way Democrats treated, treated Brett Kavanaugh. Yes, as outrageous as that 
sounds. That's what they want us to believe. Here's Donald Trump yesterday before he gets on Marine One saying the Democrats are actually going to go out and vote for Republicans. The main base of the Democrats has shifted so far left that we'll end up being Venezuela. Oh, yeah, this right, country would end up being Venezuela. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of Democrats are going to be voting Republican on November 2nd. You know, if he actually believes that, he's out of his freaking mind. You know, I you, can't believe he believes that. You hear that all the time from these Republicans about how far left the Democrats have gone, how far left the Democrats have gone. I wish. When you look, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. But if you look at what the Republicans have done over the last decade and how far right they've moved, uh, look at what it got them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. That is true. Got to yeah, got to admit that. But, I mean, this whole idea that there's going to be this Democratic wave of Democrats voting for Republicans. Get out of here. Get out of here. And Mitch McConnell, by the way, he uses a word. He used a word down in Louisville, Kentucky yesterday, which he should never use because it's, if there's one word that does not apply to Mitch McConnell, it's adrenaline. What I think this has done for us <laughs> is provide the kind of adrenaline shot that we had not been able to figure out how to achieve in any other way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got so much adrenaline on our side. We're going to, oh, man, we got so much adrenaline. You see all the adrenaline we got on our side now? Folks, I'm so jacked up on adrenaline right now. You can't even tell, but I am jumping up and down on the inside. Get out of here. It's like Trump saying there's going to be a red wave. Well, just to kind of put that in context today, okay, um, a couple of little polls that are out. By the way, this is total BS. Total, total BS. Look, I mean, <laughs> just take a look at the women who are running for office today. There are more women running than ever before. I've mentioned this before. Emily's List, great organization this year, trained 40,000 women to run for various offices, running for Congress, running for state legislature, governor, all across the board, running for Congress today. There are 239 women running for Congress. 187 of them are Democrats. So um, there's a couple of polls just out today to put it in context. Um, CNN took a poll among people. What do you think? This is after Brett Kavanaugh, okay? After Brett Kavanaugh, do you support, are you glad Brett Kavanaugh's on the, on the bench? Do you support Brett Kavanaugh for the bench? 51% say no. 41% say yes. Yeah, great hit, Brett Kavanaugh, really? Yeah, really knocked the American people off their socks. No, turn them against him. That's what the hearing did. And by the way, in September, after the first time he testified, it was 39% against Brett Kavanaugh uh, basically, and 38% for him. Now, the anti-Brett Kavanaugh has jumped from 39 to 51%. Pro-Brett Kavanaugh has inched up from 38 to 41%. Among independents, very important, 49% of independents today say oppose Brett Kavanaugh. Overall, majority of Americans opposing, opposing Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, ABC, uh, NBC looked at uh, women and women voters, right on the point of Mitch McConnell. Would you, would you vote for Republicans, you want Democrats or Republicans to take over the House? 
uh, that poll shows women for Democrats, 58 percent, 33 percent for Republicans. That's a 25 point difference between Democrats and Republicans among women, according to this latest NBC poll. Uh, on CNN, took a look at women with college degrees, women with college degrees, Democrat or Republican, taking over the House of Representatives. According to the CNN poll released this morning, 67% of women with college degrees say we want Democrats to have control of the Congress, 31%. Again, a 36-point advantage. So where's this blue wave, Donnie, baby? Hey, Mitch, where's all the adrenaline on your side? Um, And finally, the Washington Post this morning, with a poll out this morning, they took a look at the 69 leading, uh, no, I should say most contested House races, 69 of them. Uh, And uh, how are Democrats and Republicans faring? Democrats have a four-point advantage across the board in 69 different races which are held by Republicans today, I might point that out, or their open seats, uh, 50 for Democrats and 46 for Republicans. Uh, and so the trend is certainly going, certainly going even more so uh, in the Democrats' favor. And the phrase that I think sums it up, we talked about this yesterday, two of them, I guess. We talked about it yesterday, and I think what a lot of people are feeling is don't just get mad. Yeah, we're pissed off, but don't just get mad. Get even. And the way to get even, 28 days from today are the midterm elections. Get even by, as Elizabeth Warren said yesterday, take back the House, take back the Senate, vote the Democratic ticket up and down, and restore power to the people. And that means congressional races, Senate races, state House races, governor's races. We have a chance to really turn this around and get even, get back, fight back on November 6th. Uh, I love that phrase. There were a lot of signs that said, remember in November. Remember in November. And you know what? I have a feeling we will. And as several people told us yesterday on the show, uh, that's, that's, that's what motivates people to vote, rightly or wrongly. People very seldom come out to vote to say, thank you for doing a good job. Mm-mm. They come out where they're pissed off. They yeah. come, we come out when we want to change. When we don't like the way things are going, we're angry and we demand a change. That's when we vote. And that certainly is the motivation for Democrats today to get out and vote. Please, please remember. Let's prove Mitch McConnell. Let's prove Donald Trump wrong. Remember in November. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, a couple of other uh, items in, in the news. Donald Trump actually invited somebody uh, you won't believe to fly down to uh, Florida with him yesterday, <coughs> Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Oh, right. Remember they were supposed to meet? <laughs> Remember, like, uh, this is so weird. <laughs> Two weeks ago, his head was on the chopping block, right? They had rolled out the guillotine. <laughs> Rosenstein goes down to the White House after the New York Times reported that he had threatened to wear a wire or suggested maybe he should wear a wire the next time he talked to Donald Trump, uh, and uh, that he might line up some votes to invoke the 25th Amendment. (laughs) They summoned him to the White House, uh, didn't fire him because Donald Trump was going to meet with him the following week. That was two weeks ago. He delayed that meeting, 
Never met with him until yesterday. He invites him to fly down to uh, uh, to Orlando to meet with these uh, police chiefs. Uh, and um, so did he fire him? Donald Trump says, no, uh, we actually, uh, he told reporters uh, after he arrived in Orlando, we had good talk. We just had a very nice talk. We actually get along. And uh, really good talk. <laughs> Great, thanks. Really good talk. So insightful. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> you know, uh, d- now, the question is, we don't know whether or not Rod Rosenstein wore a wire yesterday. Uh, <laughs> Do you think they, like, gave him the pat down before he got on Air Force I'll One? I bet they did, baby. Yeah. You know that. Uh, you know what? It could be. Who knows? I mean, this is like so Donald Trump is in love with Kim Jong-un, right? I mean, it, it, whoever talks to him and kisses up to him, he's in love with. I, I think it may it may simply be that that Trump hates Jeff Sessions so much that he'd rather deal with a Rod Rosenstein than a Jeff Sessions. Who knows? At any rate, they had their you, little. You know what? They You're had their exactly little trip right. together. You're right. exactly right. There are a lot of yeah. people that said, you know, Rosenstein might not be long for this world. He might be sticking around until the midterms. Maybe that's true. Who knows? Yeah. What What are we doing trying to figure out what Donald Trump is going to do? Uh, exactly. Can't do it. Uh, well, if you if you uh, need any further proof that um, we have a, a state-run media today uh, in the in the, in the name of Fox News, we got it yesterday. Now remember, so Bill Shine, who was the uh, executive vice president of Fox News, and by the way, uh, let's go back to the party of sexual assault, the Republican Party. Of course, Bill Shine, who defended Roger Ailes all these years, knowing. And Bill O'Reilly, by the way, all these years defended these two sexual predators, knowing there were multiple women who had filed uh, uh, grievances against these two for sexual assault. And knowing, of course, and overseeing Fox News paying out millions and millions of dollars to settle lawsuits for Bill O'Reilly. This Bill Bill Shine, of course, is now in the White House as the communications director Supporter, supporting and defending and covering up for another sexual predator, the nation's number one sexual predator, namely Donald Trump. So Bill Shine goes from Fox News to the White House, and yesterday we learned that Hope Hicks, who was who had the job that Bill Shine has now, communications director in the White House, is now the new director of communications for Fox News. So they just changed jobs. Fox News sends their VP to the White House. The White House sends its VP to Fox News. And you know what? There's no difference between no, the two. No. This is one it's of those the things, same job. Yeah, this is one of those things that's like a parody of itself. It right? is. Like yeah. you, you, could not, you could not sell this as a joke because it's so unbelievable. And yet, this is what we live in every single day. So yesterday she was the communications director for the Trump White House. Today, she's communications director for Fox News. She has not changed jobs. That's my point. <laughs> Bill Shine was exec- was communications director for Fox News. Now he is for the White House. He did not change jobs either. It is all one and the same. Uh, indeed. Now, um, my favorite story of the day. Save this one. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I fly a lot. And uh, I've had a couple of dogs alongside me on recent flights. I'm not really thrilled about having dogs alongside me. One was a woman had a little pup, a little dog in her lap the entire flight. It didn't bite me. It didn't go to the bathroom or anything. I mean, so I mean, it was well behaved, <laughs> but just didn't like it. The last time Carol and I were flying together, was a woman had a a dog that 
digs up a cadaver dog. I mean, a big dog. Okay. That they used D- for searching cadavers and was at her feet. I mean. Wait, wait, wait. So does the dog have its own ticket? Like, does it get its no, own it seat the, or it has no, to be it was on, on the, the No, I don't like that. Big dog. And Little bear- dogs I actually am okay with, but the big dogs, no, that's not okay. good. All right. That's bad enough. Yeah. Alaska Airlines yesterday put out a list of the animals that are allowed as service animals. Oh, no. Yes. Okay. Now, before, this is a change, because before, they just had a list of what was not allowed. Wait, so I just want to be clear. Are these the emotional support animals mm-hmm. or just, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Now, here's what was not allowed before. They had uh. a list of what was not allowed. The, not allowed before passengers could not have no, no hedgehogs <laughs> or ferrets. No snakes, insects, or rodents. No sugar gliders, and no sugar gliders, which is a nocturnal species of possum. I didn't know sure. what that was. Yeah. But so yesterday they said, "Here's what is allowed." That's oddly specific, by the way. <laughs> they outlawed those weird things. Remember uh, in January, I was playing with a peacock. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, and. Um, <laughs> so those were not so, allowed, and they were now not allowed. they've changed the rules. Right. So now they have a list of what is allowed oh, no. on Alaska Airlines. Dogs, okay. cats, um, and miniature horses. Get out. Miniature horses. What? Yes. A miniature Why? horse. A miniature horse usually between two and three feet tall. Get out of here. And weighing. Wait. That's no. Crazy. That's crazy. And weighing between seven, 70 and 100 pounds. No. Miniature horses. Now. They also admit that the only think about it, this is not going to go under your seat. I was going to say, what are you going to do with that? It's not going to go in the overhead rack. Right. The only place they admit that the miniature horse could could fit Don't. is standing in front of the front row. Get out! No. Standing That's in front crazy. of the front row. That's crazy. I guess in coach or in first class. That's crazy. No, that's no good. I just want to, Alaska Airlines, I've flown you, and I love, it's a very good airline. If if somebody gets on that airline, somebody gets on my Alaska Airlines (laughs) with a horse. With a miniature horse. I'm getting off. And you're paying me back. So do they secure the animal, or do they just stand them up there and hope for the best? Turbulence is a thing. Tune in. Yeah, turbulence. (laughs) We have to have our seatbelt on. Why wouldn't the damn You've got to restrain that horse. Can you believe it? I mean, it could, they could easily have left horses off the list. <laughs> How many people have an emotional support animal for a horse? And by the way, what do you do with a horse in your own home, right? Yeah. Does it sleep with you? Man, there are a lot of logistics. I just... Alaska Airlines. Can't figure they this out. They came out with it. Yeah, yesterday. Uh, the official list. Dogs, cats, or miniature horses no. are allowed. Right. No. Um, other no I'm not going to fly way, on an airplane with a, with a horse on it. By the way, I found this out too. Other airlines allow miniature horses to fly as service animals, including <laughs> Southwest Airlines and United Airlines. No. Which also, United, also permits service monkeys and service birds. What's a bird going to do? I mean. What's a bird going to do? Can, How's that going to help you? How much, how much emotion and love and comfort do you get from a bird? Zero. Seriously. They're yeah. terrible pets. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I just think this whole service animal thing has gotten 
way, way, way out of line. <laughs> I know there are a lot of you out there that are going to be pissed off at me at this, but I think, hey, folks, come on. I know. will say this. No. Having, okay, a dog I, and a cat, I'm okay with. Anything else, forget about it. I'll say this. Little having, dogs or cats. Having worked, like, having worked with you for quite some time, you have been very consistent about this. Oh. <laughs> you have hated the service animal thing from the very beginning, especially on airplanes. Well, that's the only place that I connect yeah. with them, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, in a restaurant, I don't mind people have a dog in a restaurant. Gonna be what do you need to bring your bird on an airplane or your horse? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, your it's horse. Crazy. Okay, here's my word. Leave your GD horse home, okay? I don't want it on any plane. Screw you and the miniature horse you rode in on. <laughs> yeah, right. And the airplane that your miniature horse <laughs> rode in on. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, United Nations says by 2040 we could all be underwater. What's the Trump administration doing about it? We'll find out from uh, Andrew Friedman when we come back from science editor at Axios. Quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. And on a Tuesday, uh, October 9. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on the uh, Bill Press Show. Lots and lots to uh, talk about. And it's good to have you with us as we boom out to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill. Uh, in Washington, D.C. By the way, some very exciting news here uh, in this, um, these uh, leading up to the midterms. Uh, a great new app that is out. It's uh, from the P- Political Voices Network. Uh, it's a new service called leftisright.com. Uh, we're there, and Stephanie Miller and Tom Hartman. It's one way, one stop shop for the strongest and best progressive voices out there. Uh, thank you. Yours truly, Stephanie Miller, Tom Hartman. Uh, you can download the app for, uh, for your Apple device, not Android devices yet. It's brand new, but at least Apple device you can download. Uh, Political Voices Network. Look for that app. Uh, and the website is leftisright.com. Uh, just started up yesterday, so uh, go there. Check it out. Check it out. And again, it's one place to go to for our show every day, followed by Stephanie Miller, followed by Tom Hartman. Uh, the best uh, of the best. Uh, before we get into climate change, I just want a little foot one footnote to what we talked about last hour. Uh, we talked about some of the polls that show an overwhelming uh, support among women uh, over uh, for Democrats among women over Republicans in the latest polls that are out today. I forgot to mention in that context. Uh, that CNN shows that uh, Donald Trump's poll number now is at 41%. So 41% of Americans approve of the job Donald Trump is doing as president. Hasn't gotten, hasn't really changed much since he got there. Uh, among women, get this, however, among women, 61% of American women disapprove of the job Donald Trump is doing. These are the women that Mitch McConnell says are going to go out and and vote Republican, right? 61%. Figure that out. Six out of 10 American women don't like Donald Trump or the job he's doing as president. That is huge. Uh, So much for the uh, adrenaline uh, Mitch McConnell's talking about. Uh, we've been at it. By the way, we want to welcome to the studio, as we mentioned, Andrew Friedman is a science editor at Axios, uh, dealing particularly with this issue of climate change. Andrew, it's good to see you. Good to be with you. Before we uh, jump in here, we've been uh, uh, at the news of the day for a little bit here. 
Uh, and Peter? Yeah, we're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. I have to say, uh, we have two different comments from people who are annoyed with us. Uh-oh. Uh, because- are, are these horse lovers? No, 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 Miniature no. We, we'll lovers? get to those. We'll get to those. All right, okay. But they're saying, uh, well, I'll just read KG's comment first. If you must play audio of Trump, could you please give a signal before you start <laughs> and when you're done so that we can mute? Maybe we could tint the screen orange. Thanks very much. I know. It is disgusting. Also, Tybor. Morticus says, Bill, the more audio clips of Trump you play, the more I am nauseated and the less I can listen. For the sake Sorry. of all of your listeners, please Sorry. reduce them. Sorry. I have to say, I've said for a while now, I'm going to donate my brain to science so that you can see the impact of listening to Donald Trump speak early, early, early in the morning every day for uh, all these years. Uh, I know. Has, has done I know. Brain. It's a weak defense. I know. The only reason we do so, of course, is to mock it, to make fun of it, and to show you just how horrible a human being he is but i guess we already knew that yeah yeah exactly uh also uh while you are checking out our uh twitter feed at bp show at bp show we have a poll up right now the question is will the kavanaugh confirmation and the related events energize the gop base to turn out on november 6th as mitch mcconnell the gop base yeah the gop base will they turn vote out no on that one uh, all right so you vote no 57 percent currently say no 43 percent say yes remember in november that's it so please get out there and uh and vote on this. Some comments on that poll. Tom says the GOP has very little headroom to energize the base. Most of their base already have uh, most of their base already votes, and that is all that they have, which is kind of interesting. And David, with a, sort of a counterpoint, says we are kind of living in our progressive bubble, and maybe we aren't paying attention to the other side. Then we get blindsided on election day. Good warning. Yeah, and me meaning for the next twenty-eight days, work like hell. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. There you can, go. Can I just interrupt there a little? By, sure? by the way, that remember in November. I mean, I, uh, I mentioned yesterday. I uh, brunch with some friends Sunday. One of them was going was making decide they're going to make phone calls for Bedouin Rock, right? Because he was pissed off. Another, the woman said she was going to go to Virginia, and uh, and walk precincts. Carol and I, Carol and I, last night actually sat down, and made up a list of ten candidates, House, Senate, and Governor candidates around the country that we wanted to help and wrote checks to them last night. Nice. Ten of them. Just, you know, and, you know, you could do that. If it's five bucks, just, with, you know, we've heard a lot about these raises, Beto O'Rourke or Andrew Gillum down in Florida, whatever you can do, five, ten bucks, fifty bucks, whatever. Now's the time to do it. Or if you could go there, walk precincts. Do whatever you can. Help in any way you can. Find us on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. You can uh, you could comment on anything there at any time. We didn't get any complaints about the horses. You got a couple complaints about the horses. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you could ride your own horse <laughs> on the Alaska Airlines just as long as I'm not on the flight. All right. So, Andrew, uh, headline in the New York Times this morning: Climate warning hits silent wall on Trump's desk. They're referring to the climate report that came out from the U.N. panel on climate change, 91 scientists, I think, around the world, who said that we're going to be in deep water. <laughs> I was going to say deep doo-doo, but they say deep water, literally, by 2040. Tell us, first of all, about this report. What does it say? What does it warn? What are the consequences? Uh, and what does it say we, we should do? So the report was actually requested by governments at the coming out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Because uh, small island states view 
a target of 1.5 degrees of warming as key to their very existence. So they view it as uh, anything above that, and they go underwater forever. Literally. Literally. Yeah. Um, I thought it was too, um, not so to the, get picky, but I thought, yeah. it, thought it was two degrees. The nope. target that was really agreed to in Paris, the way they phrased it was well under two degrees. So the top level is uh-huh. two. So two, what they did it. was they asked scientists, hey, what's the difference between, in terms of impacts, and in terms of can we get there? Uh, between two degrees Celsius of global warming and 1.5 degrees Celsius of global warming by the year 2100. And what this panel came out and said was not only do we think that climate impacts, major climate impacts uh, from rising sea levels to possible permanent loss of Greenland ice sheet, Greenland's ice sheet and part of Antarctica are going to happen earlier than we thought. But we really have, if we keep on our present course, we will hit the 1.5 degree target around 2040 and exceed the 2 degree C target by 2100. Uh, We're looking for, right now we're on track for a target of about 3.7 degrees Celsius of global average warming. That's a concept that's hard to get your head around. It doesn't mean that your city or your town warms by 3.7 degrees on average. Really, it means more extreme weather. It means more uh, sea level rise and more damaging storms, more uh, intense and longer lasting heat waves. It manifests itself in different ways uh, that the weather and climate system works. Crop, crop damage? Yeah, so the one of the big concerns is food shortages and water shortages, which is what the U.S. military, even under Trump, is still concerned about and including in their reports. And it looks like they were saying, the new U.N. report was saying, our chances of widespread water shortages and uh, crop uh, losses are significant. The chances of those are significantly increased at 2 degrees C versus 1.5. It was a little bit shocking to me as a climate reporter who's read way too many of these climate yeah. assessments over the years that the difference between 1.5 and 2 was quantified so precisely and that it makes such a big difference. So we're talking, it's the difference between keeping a lot of our global coral reefs and losing them all. It's the difference between, uh, I think the sea level rise difference is about four inches globally. Whoa. But if you think about that in New York City, that would be closer to six to eight inches. If you think about that, because different regions uh, Mm -hmm. see different levels of sea level rise, not the global average. Um, Really, the, the the Times headlines, the Axios headlines, everybody really came out strong because this is the UN IPCC reviewing 6,000 studies and basically concluding that, in the words of Gavin Schmidt, who is the top NASA climate scientist, really what the UN was saying was that the time to act to reduce climate change was 25 years ago. The second best time, as he put it, is right now. 
Now, first of all, three point so one point five Celsius. What is that in uh, Fahrenheit? Two point seven. Two point seven. Mm-hmm. And three point seven is. And then uh, two degrees Celsius uh, temperature increase is three point six degrees Fahrenheit. It's three point six, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And if it, if it ever got to three point seven Celsius, that would be that would that's uh, the one that gets close to seven. Yeah, that's about seven Fahrenheit. Yeah, which, which is what the Trump administration said. Yes, admitted in its own report, buried it, but admitted it in its own report. Yeah, basically, yeah. what you're referring to is that uh, recent. That was just last week. Yeah, it, was, it, it came out that they had. Yeah, so what they basically did was they said for their new auto fuel efficiency standards. Hey, if we take back the Obama standards, if we roll them back, the world's going to warm by seven degrees Fahrenheit anyway, and this isn't going to make that big of a difference. Right. It was incredibly cynical and incredibly uh, disturbing to climate scientists because that level of warming would doom coastal areas of the United States from Miami to Virginia, to um, to New York, to parts of Manhattan. So uh, this was really astonishing that the Trump administration came out and basically said, this is what we expect to happen, and we're, we're not going to really make a dent in that. You know, one, one small thing about that uh, I'm always curious about. We always hear about the impacts of global, of, of rise of sea levels uh, as, as a result of gl- uh, climate change on the eastern seaboard. We always talk about Miami, Norfolk, which I think is already pretty hard. So is Miami mm-hmm. you know, experiencing that. Manhattan and and on up. Uh, the New Jersey coast. Is the West Coast equally impacted? So the West Coast is also significantly impacted. Um, I mean, are we talking L.A., San Francisco, um, San Diego? We're not talking uh, – L.A. is not the, the top candidate in terms of threat level. Um one way you can look at it is think about West Coast airports. If you've ever flown into San Diego or San Francisco <laughs> or California. Oakland, I know right. them all. Exactly. I, mean, I could, yeah. So San Francisco International Airport is at high risk of flooding. It's, it's on um, landfill. Yeah. So is Oakland. Yeah. Landfill. So both of those are in trouble in storms by the 2030s. Mm-hmm. Um, and need to figure out ways to to mitigate that to keep them viable. San Diego International Airport is in a similar situation because it's pretty close to the water. Yeah. Um, so there is a big sea level rise component on the west. Um, there's also uh, already impacts in terms of ocean acidification and the shellfish industry, primarily oyster fisheries, um, as you get up towards Washington State. So we talk about it a lot uh, in reference to the East Coast, in part because... So many of our military assets are based in Virginia. So right. many of our big cities, you know, the 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 big poster child for sea level rise is Miami. So I keep coming back to crops. I mean, aren't there crops, whether it's corn or soybeans or grapes, <laughs> um, that just cannot tolerate uh, extreme uh, temperatures pardon me, that last a long time? You know, maybe you have a little heat wave, but then... It, levels out. But I mean, if you have a constant extreme uh, level uh, of warming, um, those crops are going to be gone, right? Yeah. I mean, the effects on crops 
for like, like wheat, you know, the main staple crops for the world. The data is very interesting because it shows that as the amount of CO2 warms and the amount of warming increases, crops become less nutritious and more variable in terms of production over time. So you're going to see less, um, you're going to see a downward trend in crop productivity from the main growing regions of the world. That's the U.S., uh, Russia, other places that grow a ton of wheat and export it. Yeah. Now, what about the people who say, well, you know, there are technological fixes to this. We can come up with a different strain of wheat, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, or, or what other crops that can tolerate uh, extreme temperatures. So they're trying. <laughs> Th- that is something that is going on right now pretty pretty uh, concertedly. Um, the other thing that's really interesting about this IPCC report is that there were, I think they presented, they presented a, a variety of what they call pathways of ways that you can limit warming to 1.5 degrees by doing a variety of things. You know, if you okay. plug in this, if you plug in that, if you scale renewables up, if you scale renewables, you know, uh, at a slower rate, that sort of thing. One of the things that they basically said was we are now at a point where we have to employ carbon removal technology, uh, at least in the second half of this century. So what that means is a lot of the technology that you hear oil companies and coal companies talking about, such as uh, carbon sequestration technology um, and carbon removal, which are basically machines that would suck carbon out of the atmosphere. These technologies are all in their infancy. Some of them are being used at demonstration plants, some at operational plants, but they're not at a cost level that allows them to be used uh you know more Mm. broadly this is basically saying we have to make inroads in that technology don't they also say that we have to um i mean so what are their main recommendations if we if we really take this seriously what should nations be doing i i I just i didn't read the entire report but i saw one one story where it said i I believe they said if we have to eliminate fossil fuels by i don't know 2025 or something like that or yeah um, basically, it means coal burning has to stop as quickly as possible. It means we have to turn the global economy around uh, basically on a dime. Uh, if you look at what they project for 2030 in terms of emissions, we need to cut greenhouse gas emissions in the next 12 years by about 45%. Now, that means oil refineries, power plants, all gone, all gone. Yeah, or redone and, and replaced with renewables. Replaced with renewables, replaced with a mix of nuclear and other technologies. But it's impossible Every- to get from here to there, isn't it? I mean, in this country, what are renewables now are not even ten percent. The collectively, correct? Yeah. The uh, if you look where we are, and you look where they say we need to go. What they say is it's technically feasible, according to the laws of physics, according to technology. However, you and I sitting here both know (laughs) that politically, this is not going to happen. Right. Politically, you need to muster the global 
collective will to get this to happen, and it needs to happen ASAP. Okay. Now, we know, sitting here, that Donald Trump is not going to do a damn thing about it. Will other countries, So the other, are they? The other countries that are stepping up in trying to fill a void left by the United States, um, and, and we can't technically withdraw from Paris until 2020. Right. So if we elect a new president in 2020, one of their first acts could be to stay. Right. However, but si- we've lost, since we we've left, lost four years. Right. And we don't have four years to lose. Yeah. Plain and simple. So what's happening in the U.S. is states, regions, cities, towns are all acting. And the technology is being developed by Silicon Valley and by others. And strangely, as my colleague uh, Amy Harder has been reporting, the oil industry is getting much more serious about investing in carbon removal technology because mm-hmm. they're recognizing the, that, the yeah, need could be, to... Um, could be the end of the road for them yeah. unless they, had, unless they had, you know... Unless they have ways. something that's, that's available. Right. Um, but Canada, the European Union, and China are basically leading the charge right now but not in the way that the United States had. And Brazil, having just elected the far-right leader, that's a person who has also vowed to take his country out of Paris. Yeah, well, if he's, that, a, he's a Trumper. Yeah. If that occurs, that means that the country with a huge carbon sink, as they call it, which is the Amazon rainforest, would no longer be part of the agreement and chopping down the rainforest and all of these things that scientists are very concerned about are back on the table as wild cards. So we're not, you know, I asked a one of the leading scientists who tracks carbon emissions around the world um, and puts out a very authoritative report every year. I said, look, am I a moron in assuming that this is not the direction that we're headed in? Um, and he basically said the UN report amounts to an academic exercise. Politically speaking, we're backsliding. We're not moving forward. And it's going to take a heck of a lot. He believes that the two degrees C target uh, is not going to happen either. But I don't want to sit here and depress everyone in the morning. (laughs) Um, Basically, what we're looking at is... We probably probably exceed 2C for a while, mm-hmm. and then we overshoot it and use technology and use political will and use the power of the people um, to uh, see if you can bring it back down. Uh, well, on that hopeful note, uh, let's, uh, let's close that discussion. Because I do want to ask you just about a minute left. Uh, to what extent is Hurricane Michael now heading toward the Gulf Coast? a manifestation of climate change? You know, uh, climate change, uh, the consensus on hurricanes is basically that it'll make most hurricanes a little bit more intense and wetter, meaning more rainfall from them. Mm -hmm. Rapid intensification is something that we're seeing more storms do. Michael is predicted to do that uh, today, and it did that between Sunday and Monday. Right. This is a big storm. This is a serious threat to the northern Gulf Coast, and it will play in the Florida uh, political races. Andrew Gillum's hometown, he's the mayor of Tallahassee. Tallahassee is right within the, the, mm-hmm. the zone. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, it is definitely something to watch, but it's not something I think the really the most tangible connection is sea level rise increases the damage from hurricane storm surge, mm -hmm. no matter what the other climate change impacts are. All right. Fascinating stuff and troubling stuff. And here's a great big warning. I hope we don't ignore it. Andrew Friedman. Thanks, Andrew, for coming in. You can follow him at Axios.com. Find out this more about it. is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And Hurricane Michael, uh, the monstrous storm, is now a level two hurricane. Just about to pummel the northern Gulf Coast of Florida. Uh, Florida and Alabama both issuing evacuation orders. Here we go again. Hello, everybody. On a Tuesday, Tuesday, October 9. So good to see you today. It's good to have you with us. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. As always, there's never a, a dull media day in Trump world. Uh, we'll bring you up to date on all the latest, uh, including this uh, phony swearing in so many at the East Room yesterday, which was um, hop cobbled together just simply so Donald Trump could be in the spotlight once again and uh, not only brag about getting uh, Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, but apologize to Brett Kavanaugh for the um, for the American people, not you, not me, uh, for all that. Pardon me for all that he had to go through. Poor baby, yeah. Uh, but the sad news is, poor us, because we've got him on the court for decades. We got that to talk about. Yeah, we'll track uh, Hurricane Michael and some of the latest polls show uh, that women are particularly pissed off at the Republican Party. And they will get out and vote in droves for Democrats come 28 days from now, November 6. All of the above, I would love to hear your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Hear from you on Twitter at BP Show. We'll jump right into the news of the day with Eugene Scott from The Washington Post. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Let's go to the sports desk yet again because we've got some baseball playoff updates. Last night, the L.A. Dodgers finished their series against the Atlanta Braves. They will move on. The Braves are out. The Dodgers won their game. Did they sweep it? No, they didn't sweep it. The Braves snuck one game uh, one game out of the series, but it was 3-1. Three 3-1 to one. Three to one was the final uh, uh -huh. for, the, yeah. for the series. So, so the LA Dodgers to? will move on. They're going to play the <laughs> Brewers. 
And last night, this is this is getting ugly. The uh, uh, contest between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. We know that they hate each other. Uh, last night, the Red Sox really put a whooping on the Yankees, sixteen to one. <laughs> oh my god! Sixteen to one. In fact, it was in the ninth inning after the Red Sox had established a pretty solid lead that Brock Holt hit for the cycle. It's the first time it's ever happened in the postseason. What does that mean? I'll let the announcer explain. All right, here's the Brock star. What a night he's had. The Brock star. And he swings and rips one deep to right down the line toward the corner, hooking, and it's a home run. A two-run homer for the Brock star. And he has hit for the cycle for the second time in his career. A single in the fourth. A triple in the fifth. A double in the eighth. And now a first pitch home run in the ninth of the Red Sox lead at 16 to 1. That's a hell of a night. Boy, you I'll got say. every kind of hit that you yeah, could get. Right, a single, right. a double, a triple, and a homer. Again, that's and did never he happened. Strike out too? I mean, like this. <laughs> no. No, he just he, he had he had the game of a lifetime again. Unbelievable. That's never happened in a uh, playoff game before. So the Red Sox are in control of that series two games, 2-1. Two, when you think about what are the most popular websites on the internet, what do you think is number one? Um, oh boy. Oh, you mean search search engine? Websites. Oh, websites. Although you're not far off. Well, I was going to say Google. Well, you would be right if you were oh, going okay. to say Google. So let's stick with that. Google is number one. That is the most trafficked website yeah, on the internet. Yeah, that's surprising, but it's right. a search engine. Not... Right. But, okay. well, you know, they've got Google News. They've got that's Gmail. They've got all these different things. Yeah, right. uh, Facebook is number two. YouTube is number three. It will not come as a surprise to you that in the top ten, four of them are porn sites. <laughs> <laughs> Which ones? Well, I'll let you figure it out. Computer, come on. (laughs) This is the Bill Press Show. Remember, in November, yeah, that is the word uh, among those who are outraged by the uh, Kavanaugh confirmation. Uh, we don't have to, we have to say that now, not nomination any longer. Uh, and the polls today show, in fact, that, that is the case. Uh, MSNBC reporting, NBC reporting, 61% of American women disapprove of the job Donald Trump is doing as president. And that includes, of course, Uh, forcing Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. Hello, everybody. What do you say on a Tuesday, October 9? It's our pleasure to welcome you to the program as we boom out to you uh, live coast to coast uh, and all around the globe on online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on television, on Free Speech TV, and on the radio out in the greater Chicago area, the city of Chicago, and all surrounding suburbs there, uh, hello, hello on WCPT. So much to talk to you about as we come to you live from our nation's capital. And by the way, a little big news, uh, not uh, yeah, a little big news, but a little good news on the political and progressive media front. Something brand new for you to check out, uh, and that is a new uh, website called leftisright.com. 
You can find it by going to the app, just downloading the app, Political Voices Network, PVN, Political Voices Network, available now at the App Store on any Apple device, not yet on the Android uh, smartphones, but any Apple. And on that, you will find uh, it's your one-stop shop for progressive voices uh, on the midterm elections, leading up to the midterm elections. Uh, three shows up there right now um, that you can you can catch, again, by Political Voices Network. That's a new app. Uh, the, Bill Pre- the Bill Press Show, thank you. The Stephanie Miller Show and the Tom Hartman Show. So Bill, Stephanie, and Tom, every day, download the app at uh, Political Voices Network. Uh, the website leftisright.com. It's your one-stop shop for the midterm elections. And this is your one-stop shop for the next hour to bring you up to date on all the news of the day with the help of our good friend from the Washington Post, uh, reporter for The Fix there at the Washington Post, the one and only Eugene Scott. Mr. Scott, nice to see you. Always nice to see you. It's nice that you're here in this country. You're always on the road <laughs> every time I try to find you. I mean, yeah, well, I'll be on the but, road quite a bit in this country as we head into the midterms uh, these next few weeks. So... Uh, Brett Kavanaugh's on the court. He's now in justice. He will hear his first cases today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we come out of a pretty uh, tumultuous confirmation process. What's your take on the whole process? Um, who who wins, who loses? Um, well, uh, I think overall, uh, I hate to do both sides, uh, but both sides lose, but for different reasons. Uh, the majority of Americans uh, do not approve of Brett Kavanaugh being on the bench. And so uh, that puts a dent in uh, the Republican and specifically President Trump's uh, morale in terms of delivering more uh, conservative judges to the bench, which he was hoping would be a win. But just, just a, a little um, uh, to put a period on that a sentence, I guess. Uh, CNN's poll out this morning shows 51 percent of Americans disapprove right. of uh, Brett Kavanaugh, which is up from 39 percent right. in his first testimony. Mm-hmm. So he turned a lot of people off. He did, and uh, the. Uh, the idea that that does not hurt conservatives because a judge is supposed to be apolitical is just not true, considering how political uh, Brett Kavanaugh was perceived because of his own words and his affiliation with uh, the Bush administration, uh, the Trump administration, George W. Bush calling Susan Collins to get him another vote. And so it, it, it was very political. And I think people were turned off by that, in addition to uh, the allegations, in addition to his temperament, in addition to some other uh, questions our society has about class and privilege and race and gender. Uh, so that was a big loss, I think, for conservatives. The reason I think the Dems also lost, but to a lesser degree, uh, is because many conservatives did not like um, how progressives responded to Kavanaugh's uh, nomination, and specifically protesters, uh, specifically um, there were concerns about how men in general general were being characterized. So the enthusiasm gap uh, heading into the November election uh, that uh, Democrats had at a much higher rate than Republicans has decreased. Uh, I think more Democrats are enthusiastic about voting in the midterms than Republicans based on recent polling. Absolutely. But not, Absolutely. not by the double-digit numbers we saw before. So things races are tighter than we thought they would be. Uh, remains to be seen. It yeah, remains I, to be I, seen. I, I, I'm not sure I agree with you on that. Okay. I mean, I know there's what that one poll everybody quotes, the NPR poll, mm-hmm. that 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 showed that. 
But there's numbers out this morning, I think, kind of refute that. Some of them, let me just discuss some of them with you. Um, the uh, I just saw on uh, MSNBC here, six mm-hmm. among American women. Yeah. 61% mm-hmm. disapprove of Donald Trump's right. Job, right. job as president. Yeah. That's six out of ten. It is. Women. And you know what? Women vote. I was going to say, and the reason why that Women matters vote. a lot, because I think uh, I saw a poll that said 51% uh, approve of Trump, but women vote more than men, and that has been the case uh, at least for the last 40 years, and specifically in midterms. And I think that's why Trump has been so aggressive with playing the men are victim, and specifically white men are victim card in yeah, these last yeah. few weeks, because he's hoping that men turn out. Um, but I don't think men feel more victimized than women feel angry. And so I think the anger right. that many women are feeling is going to lead them to turn out. And uh, uh, we, we've been talking about this earlier. Uh, you know, if, if, if what motivates people to get out and vote, rightly or wrongly, is when they're pissed off and they right. want change. People don't go wait in lines for hours Just and to, say thank you. to say thank you and I appreciate <laughs> yeah, uh, right. how good you've no. been to me. I'm going to lose the little leave off days that I have to uh, show my appreciation. So this phrase, remember in November, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. is a pretty powerful one, I think. And you know that those thousands and thousands of women mm-hmm. who circled the U.S. Capitol on Saturday mm-hmm. and were at the Hart Building mm-hmm. nonstop for like two weeks. Right. They're going to remember in November. They're not going to go yeah. home and just forget about it. I believe they will. I think the thing that I'm always mindful of is what we saw happen in 2016. And I actually, oh. a time or two uh, on air, not on this show, though, uh, cautioned people uh, that just because people were not vocal about their support for conservatism did not mean that they were going to go out and vote for a conservative. In many of the spaces I, I did life, not just the traditional traditionally conservative spaces, um, there were Trump supporters who knew that it was socially unacceptable to acknowledge their support for Trump. And so they went and voted quietly. And I'm wondering to what degree that could happen in November. I'm not saying by a large amount, but I certainly believe it will happen. Right. So um, at the risk of offending more of our listeners and viewers, I would like to, with all due apology, play a clip. We've just been getting complaints from our listeners that we play clips from Donald Trump, you know, but it's kind of <laughs> hard to talk about how bad he is unless you play some of the clips. So I here got... he is he, where he started last night. So they had this phony ceremony at the mm-hmm. White House last night mm-hmm. uh, where, again, you mentioned about being political. Brett Kavanaugh gave a political speech. Okay. L- like he did, you know, in front of the committee. Um, but the president starts out by apologizing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to Mr. Kavanaugh. On behalf of our nation, I want to apologize to Brett and the entire Kavanaugh family for the terrible pain and suffering you have been forced to endure. I mean, Gene, give me a break. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Look, he's got a lifetime appointment to the highest court in the land. Christine Blasey Ford is still unable to move her mm-hmm. family back to her mm-hmm. house because she's yeah. still getting harassed. And we're supposed to feel sorry mm-hmm. for this guy. That's like we're supposed to feel sorry for Donald Trump because 20 women have accused him of sexual assault. I'm sorry. Get me off that train. The odd thing about... They're when, turning him into a victim, trying to. They certainly are. And and one of the odd things about an individual apologizing for an entire group 
it's that uh, you you don't speak for the entire group. The majority are not sorry uh, for Brett Kavanaugh having to answer questions about his behavior in high school. Yeah, if you're um, accused of trying to rape a, no. a girl when she's 15 and yeah. you're 17, asking to try to find out the truth about that and asking questions, you don't have to apologize for that. You you do not, um, especially if you want to be on the highest court in the land. And I think what will be noticeable to many of the women we were both speaking about is seeing a president apologize for a man being held accountable for what he allegedly did in high school, but not being willing to apologize for mocking publicly the women who accused him of that behavior uh, on multiple occasions. Yeah. If any apology was warranted, President Trump's apology to Christine Blasey Ford is what most Americans think uh, was deserve, deserved to be given. For his own comments. For his right. own comments. By the way, also, you mentioned, we talked about the, the, the protesters. I was really impressed by the intensity mm-hmm. and the and the mm-hmm. and just the quantity the number yeah. of people mainly women who turned mm-hmm. out i was down there one day and they had all these t-shirts on the energy was just mm-hmm. in unbelievable 150 women flew from alaska yeah. to on their at their own expense to to meet with uh lisa murkowski yeah this is real and you know mitch mcconnell and donald trump dismissed them as paid protesters yeah. and mob mob mm-hmm. rule Yeah, I wrote a piece in The Fix that's uh, up today on our website about who gets called an angry mob by Donald Trump and who does not. A good Um, point. WashingtonPost.com, you can find Eugene's piece. And so, uh, you know, women who are Americans who vote, who want to see lawmakers uh, held accountable um, for who they vote on the Supreme Court are considered angry mobs by Donald Trump. Uh, white nationalists carrying tiki torches through a campus trying to preserve statues Sa- that commemorate uh, people who enslaved blacks are what? Yeah, right. Very yeah. fine people. Very fine people, right. Um, and People so, chanting, Jews will not Jews replace us. Jews will not us. replace us. Very yeah. fine people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump supporters who punch protesters in their faces um, at Trump rallies get, get their <laughs> legal fees uh, paid for, at least considered. Um, people he said, who, you punch him out, I'll pay your legal fees. That's what he said. People who sit in the heart building as you communicate it um, to share their, their, to express their First Amendment right are considered extreme and dangerous. Um, and so the inconsistency is really fascinating. And so I got that piece in the fix today. There's a bigger piece, I believe, by uh, Matt Weiser and Rob uh, Costa and about the, the, la- the larger strategy the Republicans are using um, to paint Democrats as an angry mob. Um, and it, you know, the, the, the fear is stoking fears uh, that we saw the Trump administration effectively do uh, since the day he announced his campaign when he decided to continue stoking fears about uh, immigrants um, and just people that you do not see as well represented in the conservative uh, wing of politics. Right. Um, and Peter, if we can, uh, at the risk of, again, uh, pissing off our listeners, but just remember why we're doing it, just so we can uh, we can explain how wrong he is. When he actually, at the very end, turned to Brett Kavanaugh and said, you know, every every man, that, for, for, this is one of the lines, I haven't read Bob Costa's piece yet, mm-hmm. that, that they are using to inflame white Americans, white men, I should say, against the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. is... How- Innocent till, till proven guilty. Our country, a man or a woman, 
must always be presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty. And with that, I must state that you, sir, under historic scrutiny, were proven innocent. Thank you. Brett Kavanaugh was not proven innocent. He was not. He was not. This was not a trial. Um, and that is why many Americans uh, still believe that he is not innocent, even if yep. they don't believe he's I guilty. I admit he wasn't proven guilty either, right. but he was not proven exactly. innocent. They yeah. finally just got to the point where they walked away. Republicans walked away from it. Yeah. And I think what's going to hurt uh, Trump is his selective use of innocent until proven guilty. I wrote a piece for The Fix last week about how <laughs> you're, got, you're on it, dude. Man, Trump, yeah. Trump has us working. Um, uh, <laughs> literally, my boss is texting me even while working on this show. Yeah, um, tell him to knock off. OK, you're, you're, you're busy. I will. Uh, my piece, yeah. my piece <laughs> notified, uh, noted how the Trump um, administration and Trump specifically did not embrace an innocent until proven guilty view for the Central Park Five. Uh, which were five black and Latino teenagers falsely, wrongly at least, accused of sexual assault um, in New York. And Trump uh, called for their death. He called for the death penalty. And yes. he still has not apologized. And He ran full page full ads. Page we talked ads. about this At least time. in four in New major York New, New York papers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. And Saying, so, bring back the death penalty. They're guilty. Kill them. And Actually, they were so them. wrongly accused that they... Um, received, I believe, like a $41 million settlement from the city of New York. Um, these are teenagers. Uh, these are, are black and brown uh, Americans, quite frankly. And so um, the innocent until proven guilty uh, idea is one that I think Trump is uh, advocating for people like him, uh, people who are, or at least that is how it's being perceived, because this is not a, an approach we have seen him take in for many of the black American men who have been right. wrongly killed by police officers in the past year. On that point. Uh, five the, years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. On and on. On that point, the, um, the president yesterday went down to Orlando to mm -hmm. speak to the police chiefs. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, he's made this point before. So has Jeff Sessions that any of these attempts to have community relations agreements with police or, or new community relations uh, deals with police departments around the country and cities around the country they want to reverse that they started under President Obama and some of them even agreed to, mm -hmm. to others in process. Jeff Sessions is undoing right. them all right. or turning them backward. Uh, Donald Trump yesterday jumping on that bandwagon and suggesting to Chicago, mm -hmm. here's you can here's how you can fix your problems with violence. I've told them to work with local authorities to try to change the terrible deal the city of Chicago entered into with ACLU, which ties law enforcement's hands, and to strongly consider stop and frisk. It works, and it was meant for problems like Chicago. It was meant for it. Stop and frisk. You talk about a totally racist practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when, as we saw in New York, as right? we saw in New York, Mike Bloomberg, uh, there's actually there's all this data that shows that it does not work. Uh, the mm -hmm. amount of uh, guns that were uh, acquired was not uh, justified to continue the practice. Uh, what was also proven was that black and brown people were disproportionately stopped. That's where it works. That, it works for giving profiling. police 
for yeah, to, for forgiving police officers an excuse for racial profiling. It, it, that is absolutely true. But one thing Trump was right about last night in saying that, or yesterday, was that it was a program that was meant for places like Chicago. It wasn't a program meant for places like the Hamptons, where if you stopped and frisked the accounts of people like Manafort, you would see crime. So Stop It Frisk is designed to find people of color in inner cities uh, guilty of things that they're suspected of being guilty of. It's Stop and Frisk is not designed for people who may get, I don't know, $413 million from their father illegally in tax fraud, <laughs> um, which would be criminal as well. And so uh, Stop and Frisk is literally pat down in these urban areas. It's not patting down the financial records of people who are more likely to vote for Trump. By the way, whatever happened to that story about Donald Trump getting 400... Donald Trump being proven once again a total fraud that this myth that he's been putting out there that I got a teeny weeny million dollar loan from my daddy but and I built it myself into a 10 billion dollar empire yeah. yeah he got 413 million from his yeah. father yeah. and then through a whole bunch of tax scams yeah. was able to avoid paying taxes until today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought um, uh, what was most telling was when Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked uh, after she called the story false, which parts were false. She could not specify, would not specify. Um, and I don't think it went by the, by the wayside. Way, she also <laughs> I just remembered. She said the New York Times should apologize to Donald Trump because yeah. he's the victim yeah. again. This yeah. Is, oh. And I really do wonder, I really do wonder, seriously, not some tip for tat, uh, when do Trump aides think Trump should ever apologize? Uh, They know know when Jamel Hill should apologize, the New York Times should apologize, Americans should apologize, Democrats. When should Trump ever apologize? He will never apologize for anything. I know he will never. He has made it clear that you don't. But these aides who seem to be so aware when everyone else should apologize, when when do they ever think the president should apologize? No. It doesn't seem like they have an an example. But isn't it stunning that 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 article, which was an exhaustive piece it was. of investigative reporting. It was. And I read every every one of the 14,000 words you in it. You read and write more than almost anyone I know. <laughs> well, Goodness. It was, it was stunning in yeah. its specificity, mm-hmm. uh, and yet it disappeared. It had yeah. a shelf life of like 24 yeah. hours, if that. Yeah. I, I, so Why? I, because I, it got blown away by Kavanaugh? I think that's part of it. I mean, Kavanaugh was a huge story. I mean, I was monitoring... Our uh, website traffic, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, the Washington Post writes so much stuff besides what's happening uh, in Trump world every single day. But that's where, where people were. Oh, I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, secondly, I know this makes some people uncomfortable, but the Donald Trump's financial issues uh, have been have been written about exhaustively beyond what people seem to be aware. This, there was a lot of news in this story, but. All of the talk about wanting to see his tax returns rooted in the idea that Trump was behaving unethically uh, related to uh, his finances. And so this story proves it. Yeah, this story proves it. But Republicans who voted for him to some degree had had already determined whether or not they cared. Yeah. And Democrats who voted against him had determined whether or not that was already a concern of theirs. What I'm most interested in 
We see in that story that for years, for decades, uh, Fred Trump, Donald Trump's father, uh, had given money to his kids uh, very often, at least perceived illegally, uh, to help support, not just to make them rich, but to help support uh, President Trump's like failing businesses and his, uh, his unsuccessful attempts at making money himself. <laughs> It wasn't yep. like Donald Trump, though, after the money stopped coming from his father, after his father died, became this excellent businessman. Money has continued to come into Trump organization. The question is, where is this new money coming from? And that is why many people have been concerned about Trump's relationship with Russia yeah. and other and banks uh, well, in Germany and other uh, donors uh, that could be illegal. I think we know where the new money is coming from. In fact, Donald Trump Jr. once famously said that if they didn't said have, it. He said it. Donald Trump Jr. said, we're not worried about this recession because we got the Russian money. That's what they That's said. That's what's keeping us going. Right. That's what they said. I have to ask you about your colleague, um, uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw all of a, a, a little, I think it might be in the front page. I don't know. I saw mm-hmm. your, either your paper or the New York Times. Yeah. A video of him, a, a shot of him walking into the Saudi consulate mm-hmm. in Istanbul last week yeah. uh, to get this document that he needed to prove that he had been divorced and so he could marry his fiancee, who was Turkish, who was waiting outside for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's never been seen since. Yeah. Yeah, he has not. And um, it's been harvishing watching uh, the global opinions team that worked closely with him um, just process what could have possibly happened, what we fear has happened. But he was a contributing columnist, I yes, guess, to the Post, to the right? global yeah. opinions page. Global opinions page, um, yes. And Karen uh, Ataya, his mm-hmm. editor, someone I communicate with regularly, and uh, you know this as you're a longtime journalist. Like, you're working with these people every day. You build relationships with these people, and especially when you're talking about the subject content he wrote about is very personal. Um, and so you learn about people's lives and their own challenges, and you live their lives with them. And he was fearless in his criticism of he the was. Saudi leadership. He was, uh, which which is always so fascinating to me because, uh, you know, I, I get hate mail every day. You get hate mail as well and the tweets and all that kind of stuff. But the level of hate that some international journalists deal with Pale, our our oh, situation yeah. is pale They're in comparison. Entire governments, right? Absolutely. And, no protections. Um, everything is a threat. This was a government building that he walked into. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it's it's very painful. It's a hard. It's so heart wrenching, and it's a reminder. It's why so many people fight about how uh, the press's rights in this country have to be protected. Um, and while while there are no clear threats to that degree that we fear in this moment. Uh, we don't want to get anything close to that. And the, oh boy, here we go again. I'm safe. sorry, we have to play Donald Trump again. He's not sorry. But the comments, his comment <laughs> yesterday about uh, Mr. Khashoggi was so cavalier, I thought. Remember, this is a president, of course, whose first trip far over trip overseas was to go to Saudi Arabia, yeah. who has, uh, even when um, Mohammed bin Salman locked up all of his political enemies, and kept them hostage for a couple of weeks and took their money away and took their jobs away. Donald Trump just said that proves what a strong leader he is, right? Yeah. Uh, and so there's no way he was going to criticize him when he was asked yesterday by reporters on his way to Marine One what his reaction was to the disappearance of Mr. Khashoggi. Here's the president. I am concerned about it. I don't like hearing about it. And hopefully that will sort itself out. Right now, nobody knows anything about it. 
but there's some pretty bad stories going around. I do not like it. Sort itself out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's a, that's the leadership we're looking for. Yeah, yeah. Right. It was a ha- it's a hands off approach. Um, and you know we we don't know all of the details that happened to Jamal. We're still trying to figure that out. Um, and he Trump did just say he did not like it. It was not as specific as uh, we would have liked it to have been. But I guess to someone like me, it's a reminder of the number of times the Trump administration has suggested that journalists who write things that aren't fitting about to an administration should be locked up or at least should be fired or should face some type of consequences. Yeah, change the libel laws and yeah. so they can't get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Right. obviously that is not anywhere near what we fear happened to Jamal, you, but but it's it's closer to it than it should be. Yeah, and you know, and again, if it were some protester at the U.S. Capitol, Donald, Donald Trump would be condemning the violence, right, or condemning yeah. this. And why he, his, these words... He said he didn't like it, but he was hardly condemning yeah. what we think yeah. uh, might have happened it there w- in Istanbul. Um, Eugene Scott's with us here as a friend of Bill, so stay tuned. Uh, and we will take a quick break. Eugene and I will be joined by Zach Beecham when we come back here. Uh, Zach Beecham, senior reporter for Vox. Stay tuned. Tuesday, October 9th. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, how about it? Here we are on a Tuesday, October 9. It is the Bill Press Show. We are, as always, in our uh, little hideaway here on Capitol Hill, booming out to you all around the globe, uh, particularly coast to coast here in this country, on uh, online, on radio, on television. Good to have you with us with lots and lots to talk about, as always. There's never a dull news day in Trump world. Eugene Scott uh, here with us as a friend of Bill the entire hour from the Washington Post. Eugene, always good to have you with us. Always good to be here. And we're joined by a mutual friend, Zach Beecham from yes. Vox, uh, who covers all kinds of things. We used to he used to be, still is, one of our foreign policy gurus, but also he's been off in Kavanaugh world. and Oh, yes. Unfortunately, I have been. Okay. Yeah. Now, as much as we like to talk about Kavanaugh, I want to start out getting your comments, both of you, on a couple of other items in the news today. Okay? Hit me. Uh, one of them is this, um, that Tom Perez announced yesterday, the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, that they are lining up the debates for Democrats mm-hmm. who are running in 2020. And we are going to see the first Democratic debate in the spring of 2019. Uh, honestly, I thought what that the, the hell I thought that the 2016 primary still wasn't over. So like starting <laughs> the 2019 primary, it just feels a little early. Feels early to me, don't you think? Uh, it, you, it, maybe they it could feels, push it back a little bit. Huh? It feels early because it is early. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's that's at least a year and a half uh, ahead of the election, and and uh, it's really interesting. I mean, you really have to wonder what impact this is having on voters in terms of fatigue. I think it turns them off. Yeah, yeah. And if there's always, if we're always in an election uh, zone, I think or mode, should I say? Uh, we can expect some people to just tune out completely. And, and that is not something that the Democratic Party can uh, can handle. Yeah. No, I, f- I find this interesting because if you look at it in comparative perspective, right, other countries, they don't have campaigns well, that last multiple no, no, years. No, England has, what, like six weeks maybe or two months or something. Exactly. Right? And yeah. the parliament is stable for the rest of the year. If there's, you know, if there's an inability to legislate, then they call a new election and then it's campaign season. Mm. There aren't these multi-year primaries that come in advance. There are occasional internal contests, mm-hmm. but they don't last this extended period of time when it feels like, honestly, can you remember a day 
up into and including the day after election day when it didn't feel like we were already starting the next campaign. Yeah. Like, I, I can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, obviously not everyone uh, would have declared by this first uh, yeah. election. And you have to, I mean, first debate. And you have to wonder what strategies candidates are using. Like, getting in early gets you more name recognition if you don't have a lot, but it also gets you more coverage and more coverage can be bad coverage. You know, right. I mean, Trump Trump figured this out. Remember, it was not long into his uh, 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 administration, just a couple of months, that he went out on a campaign event. He went, I forget where it was that he went, and they said, this is paid for by Donald Trump for president 2020. Oh, he's been running. This is a campaign event. And they just completely naked about it. They he's just said this is what we're doing. since the day after the election. Well, mm-hmm. since the day was sworn in, let's put it mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. For yep. re-election. But so- A couple of things about this, um, because it really pisses me off. One is, uh, there is not a stage in America big enough to handle all the Democratic candidates who are running. So, you know, I joke about this, but the Republicans had their varsity and their JV debate. Mm -hmm. I think the Democrats are going to have to have varsity, (laughs) JV, and middle school. (laughs) You know? Um, But so how do they choose who's in the varsity debate? Here's where it's uh, it's really, I, I think, another thing that's wrong with this point. They choose them according to name recognition. So you automatically are working against people who might be the strongest candidate but doesn't yet have as much name recognition. So name recognition means Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Mm -hmm. probably. Those three for sure, right? Yeah, I mean, for sure, yes. Right? Cory Booker, Kamala Harris. Yeah, Yeah. depending on where they put it. But there are other possible candidates. Like, let's say if Beto O'Rourke beats Ted Cruz, you know? Right. He could be a strong candidate. He could be. Uh, Andrew I mean, Gillum, if he Gillum, I was going to say, Gillibrand. Yeah. You never know who's co- who could emerge. And so the system works against people like it used to be able to. You get out there and you develop your message and you win yeah. a few primaries. And then, you know, you emerge. But yeah. this is... This is top down. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I also worry about uh, how uh, an extended debate season affects warring within the Democratic Party. Um, and uh, that, that I think, but would definitely hurt and turn off voters. I think you put your finger on the voter fatigue for yeah. sure. By yeah. this, by, if you start in April, let's say, I don't know exactly when the first debate, I don't know whether they've set a date yet. Let's say you start like April 2019. Months. Oh, my God. Wait, no, it's 18 months. What's, what year are we in? We're in I'm, talking, I'm saying six months from now. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. they're talking about doing these debates in the first quarter of next yeah, first year. Quarter. Oh, wow. That so could, if be, you start, could be March. That. So yeah. if you start in March, let's say 2019, and you're voting in November 2020. Oh, my God. No. Give me a break. <laughs> my head is already pounding. No, I can't. I can't. I can't do this. I don't want it. Yeah. It's I, just yeah. walk off. Can uh, they, can they the just make policy? There was back to the the, the the different levels. There was only one candidate that was able to graduate. I recall, as I recall, from JV to varsity, and it was Carly Fiorina. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Because yeah. I remember there was a moment where uh, the number one, two, and three uh, Republicans polling, and maybe not in this order, but I think so. Uh, briefly, were Donald Trump, Ben Carson, and Carly Fiorina, and it just showed how much Republicans were looking for an outsider with no government experience who okay. could like change things. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we got that. We've got that covered now. The next topic here, I want to get you coming on. So, uh, boy, how things change. Hope Hicks was the communications director at the White House. Now she's communications director for Fox News. Bill Shine was communications director for Fox News. Now he's communications director for the White House. Did either one of them change jobs? 
Um, no, and that's why, I mean, you saw some tweets that that's said amazing. that Fox News is almost officially becoming the fourth branch of government. I mean, I'd, I'd say it's a little different because Hopix's new job technically is not the Fox News comms director. She's running comms for all of Fox, which includes the movie sports. studio, sports. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's a it's a broader job, but it's clear why she was hired for that job. It's because and it of the connection does to the include White House. Fox News and Fox Business. Yes, that's right. You know, so I, I mean, but it, that's where she's that's where she's going to be spending her time. I think the fact that they hired her indicates that they want somebody particularly. In that division, you know, handle those No, divisions. I mean, absolutely. With all due respect to Hope Hicks, we know she had a PR background before she got on the campaign. But um, the idea that she could be the most qualified and experienced PR professional uh, of the applicants uh, makes people want to see who the other applicants were, which, of course, we will not. <laughs> um, the, the, the weight that well, she brings because of her connections to Trump world probably made her the exceptional applicant. I mean, it really is. It really we have to accept the fact that if, if not a fourth branch of government, that Fox News is, is the state run media. Today, yeah, right? I, I mean, 100 percent. I was reading uh, a piece. It was an essay in the New York Review of Books by Christopher Browning, who is a very famous historian of the Holocaust, drawing comparisons between uh, sort of pre-Nazi era and the Nazi era. I saw that piece. It's a a great essay. It's not all alarmist and crazy in the way that you'd expect a Nazi comparison to be because Browning is this really sober, serious historian, like really one of the deans of Holocaust studies. and one of the interesting points that he makes is the comparison between the role of Fox News today and the propaganda information ministry in the Nazi era. Yeah. Um, and the point, the, the way that he describes it is it's uh, it's a privatized version of the traditional state propaganda outlet, which is not a frame I had used before, mm. but it's almost a perfect encapsulation mm. of the political era we're living in. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't have state-run media outlets in the obvious, hilarious propaganda way Mm -hmm. in Western countries that are experiencing trouble with democracy. We have it outsourced to friendly private actors, and you see this in other, or rather in pseudo-authoritarian countries like Hungary, where Mm -hmm. um, they do have oligarchs who own the private media and they Mm -hmm. run it on a slavish state-run line, right? This is... This is not the way that things are supposed to operate in a democratic country where you have a massive media infrastructure that's aligned with the government and will do anything it can to defend it. And the fact that the comparisons I'm drawing are literal Nazi Germany and a country whose democracy has functionally collapsed really should concern us about the role of Fox in our public discourse. Absolutely. I was, uh, you know, watching the Kavanaugh uh, swearing in last night and the number of uh, not Fox partisan contributors, but Fox like hosts and anchors who were there taking selfies uh, was was mind blowing. You know, before the post, I worked at CNN and I can't imagine uh, if if Anderson Cooper uh, or Aaron Burnett, these primetime hosts had taken his there. Um, Laura Ingram, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, David Bossy said oh, a name. David Bossy. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't. I don't watch Fox as much as I uh, yeah. probably should. Yeah. He's a contributor. Um, he's a Trumper. I mean, yeah, he's part of yeah. the Trump campaign. Um, and it's, and it's deputy no, campaign manager, I and, believe. And nobody's surprised uh, that Laura is a supporter of Trump. But yeah. I mean, the double standard—it's frustrating. As someone who uh, I, I imagine you get this as well, it's often ta- talked to by critics about media bias in yeah. our in our tweets. Uh, you, that that's where your attention should be when you see hosts supporting uh, candidates and trying to advise the president. 
But and, and and again, just a final point on this, I guess it's not the this this pathway or the revolving door between the Trump White House and Fox. I mean, this is not the first case no. of this at all. I mean, no. Uh, Larry Kudlow was there mm-hmm. because he liked mm-hmm. Solomon Fox. Mm-hmm. He wanted Gorka. Yeah. Gorka. Gorka. Yeah. Sorry, I just love his voice. And <laughs> he was on Fox earlier. <laughs> right. Uh, Gorka. Uh, and also, um, he, he wanted to hire Joe DeGeneva at one time because he saw him on Fox. Ron DeSantis in Florida, he supported mm-hmm. him for mm-hmm. governor because he saw him on Fox. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and others who've tried to get jobs from, from Fox. Um, all right, back to. Kavanaugh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one thing that, uh, Eugene, you and I didn't talk about earlier is the impact that this has had when more people are raising this issue. And, Zach, you've, you've written about this, uh, about the impact that this has on the court itself, the reputation of the court mm-hmm. and the credibility mm-hmm. of the court. Um, and I just want to begin this conversation by going back to the year 2000, Justice John Paul Stevens at the time in his dissent to Bush v. Gore quote concluded with this uh, phrase one thing he said we may never know today time will one day heal the wound to the confidence in the court that's lost one thing however is certain although we may never know with complete certainty the identity of the winner of this year's presidential election because they interrupted the vote the count the identity of the loser is perfectly clear it is the nation's confidence in the judge as an impartial guardian of the rule of law. Mm-hmm. That's pretty powerful stuff. Indeed. And boy, if it, if it was true then, it's true today. Well, it's interesting because it actually reflects in the polls, mm-hmm. right? So Gallup does this annual survey of how much people have trust and faith in the Supreme Court. And in the 90s, it would be in the 40s and 50s of people saying they have a lot of support. And then it's gone down since then, since 2000. And now it's in the 30s. Pretty routinely. Started then. Started right then. And now that wasn't a complete collapse in the court's legitimacy, but it's clear that Bush v. Gore had this permanent impact in changing the way that people thought about the Supreme Court, at least on the left. And now you have, well, (laughs) the Supreme Court has two justices who have been accused of sexual harassment and or assault multiple Mm -hmm. times. Uh, one, two justices that were appointed by a man who's been accused of sexual assault and harassment. And these are the people that are going to be voting possibly to overturn Roe v. Wade, the most cherished accomplishment of the American feminist movement, uh, how on earth can the court be perceived as a neutral, nonpartisan, representative institution in a world where this, you know, 40% of the men on the court, not 40%, third, but uh, have been accused of sexual assault? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the idea that these courts were ever as neutral as is communicated often was always a bit mythical. I mean, the idea that they that justices are nominated by a president, um, most likely, and in our history, always the case, uh, a president is going to nominate a judge who is more in alignment with their ideas right, right. politically yeah. than not. Right. Um, and so uh, and, and, and as I've ri- as I've written about um, 
for a while, the co- confidence in the judicial system is even lower when you when you control the the numbers for people from marginalized communities, mm-hmm. right? So uh, women have less confidence in the courts. Black people have less confidence in the courts. Queer people have less confidence in the courts uh, because these courts have not historically protected their rights as long as they have protected the rights of white people, of men, of straight people. Um, and so there are always these fears and concerns when you see a president nominating another justice who does not uh, regularly uh, advocate for these communities that maybe have just gotten some of the rights that other groups have had for decades, if not centuries. Right. And to your point about the 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 court always somewhat political, absolutely, absolutely correct. At the same time, we have never seen such an overtly partisan nominee as Brett Kavanaugh, yeah. who goes on he's. So the uh, sexual assault allegation comes out. He goes on Fox News, just like Bill Clinton did, right? Like Richard Nixon did, goes on television to kind of, with his wife sitting alongside him to clear his name. That's what mm-hmm. political candidates do. He gets up in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee and does this rant about mm-hmm. blaming the Clintons mm-hmm. for undermining his mm-hmm. nomination and then attacks the Democratic judges mm-hmm. and threatens them and says, what goes around comes around. He did. I mean, yeah. totally. And then last night's phony swearing in it's the same thing. He gives a speech like a political candidate. He I feels mean, like an actor, honestly, like or a politician, I guess. Obviously, that's what I'm but, saying. But I mean, he, he really mm-hmm. does come across, mm-hmm. I, I think, as a, a, a political candidate. And and I think that's what a lot of Republicans wanted. I mean, some of the <laughs> some of the conservatives who held their noses allegedly and voted for Trump. Um, were able to breathe a bit easier when they saw Trump make public that list of judges he nominates to courts from the Federalist Society. And so uh, the Federalist Society is not in the business of getting people on the benches who will uh, be apolitical. It's the exact opposite, right? They want people on the bench who will be among the most conservative judges possible. And it's been so fascinating just watching this whole uh, debacle at at worst, because conservatives over the past at least 10 years that I've been watching uh, politics and, and courts have been very vocal about their disgust for activist judges. Um, but the reality is activist judges appear to only be a concern for conservatives if they are not conservative. Well, we just talked about Bush v. Gore, right. the most activist decision, if, yeah. I think, in the history of the court, where they actually interrupted a presidential election and and stop the state from counting its own votes. Well, yeah. it's it's weird, right? This language. Activist judges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that language it's a it's a relic from the seventies, from the Warren Court, right? Back when the court really was establishing new rights for minority groups, right? And that was sort of the raison d'etre of it, uh, abolishing the death penalty temporarily, and so on. And so the whole conservative legal movement has as its origin story a backlash to this kind of what they called activist non-constitutional rulings. Originalism is a way of being like, you guys have gone beyond the text, right? We need to go back to what it was. But now the tables have turned and all the activism and all the making up of new doctrines and interpreting the constitution in extremely creative ways. Look at uh, the Obamacare case. There has never been an activity inactivity distinction in the US constitution or in American jurisprudence. They made that up to be able to invalidate the individual mandate, right? This was. If there is a clear example of activist jurisprudence, a clearer one than this one, I, I can't think of it. So now people are saying, well, how can um, Justice Kavanaugh, we have to say now, um, handle certain cases, particularly for cases brought by Democratic senators to challenge a particular law or whatever, or, or some of these things that he has 
that, that you talked about. How could how could he not recuse himself? And yet, Eugene, I'm not an expert in the Supreme Court, but I believe it's up to each justice to decide when to recuse and when not to recuse, right? Yeah. They can't be forced to recuse yeah. themselves. No, and I mean, there's no right. reason to expect him to uh, recuse himself. Um, no, because he's a true yeah. believer. Yeah, right? and, if, and if he would have, you know, if he would have... Me, if he desires to recuse himself, we would think he would have answered that question by now because it, it's been out there. And if he would have, I don't know that if he would have recused himself, he would have been nominated considering Trump's frustration with uh, Jeff Sessions for recusing himself now. Uh, Trump wants to get people in positions of influence and uh, high power who will support him and his vision. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, can either of you explain Donald Trump's sudden uh Buddy buddy relationship with Rod Rosenstein. So they, I, uh, <laughs> you I know, don't know. I man. mean, two weeks ago the guy's head was on the chopping block, and yesterday he's flying on Air Force One, and they had a really good talk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 it seems like they had a good meeting last week. Is sort of my read of it. I don't know if that's yours. Yeah, I mean, and it's so funny because remember they were. I mean, there were. I guess it was two weeks ago. There was supposed to be a big meeting on like a Thursday. Yeah, and just Kavanaugh took over. They delayed it. Right, put it off. Supposedly, the meeting was supposed to be about uh, Rosenstein allegedly, uh, you know, discussing the Twenty Fifth Amendment. Uh, with other staffers, right? right. Um, but that that was all hearsay, and there was miscommunication about whether it was said jokingly or sarcastically or at all. Um, and something must have been communicated to President Trump that led him to believe that uh, that is not Rosenstein's intention. Um, and so, I mean, that that saved him. But I will say, uh, Trump has said he still, you know frustrated with the entire investigation as a whole and that there's been no collusion. And so I would not put too much confidence in like the depth of this relationship um, because, you know, Rosenstein's job is still to do something that Trump just wished wasn't happening at all. So here's what worries me, Zach, is that Mm -hmm. Rosenstein is the guy when Mueller completes his report, the report goes to Rosenstein. He's the guy who decides what happens to it, whether it goes to Congress or stays in the Justice Department or whether it's ever made public. And I, I see the, the cynic in me says that Trump is trying to get close to him so he can persuade him, just bury that mother. Yeah. Or the realist. I mean, I, I mean that doesn't have to be cynical. I mean, no, I mean yeah. the, the realist. That's yeah, I mean, yeah, right. we're talking about a president who openly does not like personal documents made public. Um, and this isn't even personal. You know, this is something that yeah. the, the American voter deserves to know. I mean, to keep that report private would be. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think it will be. I mean, I guess maybe I'm the naive person it here. Won't be, it won't be kept private um, or at the very least it'll be forwarded to Congress where it'll probably leak. where it'll leak. Yeah, yeah. But like Rosenstein may be flying on Air Force One now and hanging out with Trump. But the truth is, everybody has their ups and downs with Trump mm-hmm. who is associated with mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. because he makes decisions based mm-hmm. in part on mm-hmm. like whether or not he just had a good time with somebody or he had mm-hmm. a really nice conversation, whoever the last person he spoke to was. Mm-hmm. And so they may be fine now. That's not going to last. The yeah. next time the Mueller probe does something that Trump doesn't like. And so I'm we could trust Rosenstein to do what he believes is the right thing to do. I, I don't trust anybody anymore, but <laughs> I would say if I had to bet mm-hmm. on odds, I would say there's a better than not chance. Okay. I would be Rosenstein... surprised if Rosenstein feels some level of like safety or security or comfort 
just because yesterday Trump said yeah. some nice He's things about an him and got idiot. on Air Force. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. going to say, I guess I just believe yeah. Rosenstein is okay. smart. <laughs> yeah. All right. So how long before after the midterms before uh, Lindsey Graham is the next attorney general? Supposedly he's working on it. Rumor, rumor has it. I mean, the the reality is, at the very least, uh, we have seen that Republican lawmakers running for re-election are not going to win their races unless they are on the Trump train. And so he was he's definitely trying to secure that. But whether whether he wants to, you know, be in the administration as the AG uh, is something Boy, he looks like he wants it to be. I think yeah. he really wants yeah. it. I, thought, I think uh, as I said several times that was a job, double job interview that yeah. hearing, you know. Brett Kavanaugh job interview for the Supreme Court, Lindsey Graham job interview for uh, Attorney General. And by the way, Sunday, after leading the charge on Saturday, Sunday, Lindsey Graham played golf with Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah, no, the base loved it, hey, his performances. Can I ask you two a question? That Real quick. I'm taking Bill's job, but mm-hmm. like, what happened to Lindsey Graham? Remember yeah. when Lindsey oh, Graham was yeah, a yeah. Trump critic in the campaign and he was this like you, moderate Republican? Your readers should part. Google that. There's a great Cap piece in the Washington Post about it last week. Like what happened to Lindsey Graham? All right. Yeah. That is a question I get asked all the time. Yeah. What happened to Lindsey Graham? Yeah. Boy, he's certainly going over the cliff. Hey, great to see you guys. Zach Beecham from VoxBox.com and Eugene Scott from the WashingtonPost.com. Have a great one, folks. Come back Bill and see us Press tomorrow. Show. All right. <laughs> 